in certain parts of the world, namely tropical and subtropical areas, um, third world countries, leprosy is still found, is still a scourge on humanity. And the sad thing is that leprosy is relatively easy to cure. It's a simple round of antibiotics. In the days of Jesus, though, before they understood uh, much about medicine and contagious disease, it was a disease that was to be feared. Of course, they, they were in a sub uh, subtropical um, climate, and hygiene wasn't exactly all that good. The Jewish people, though, because of the connection with leprosy, leprosy causes scars, rotting flesh, in advanced stages, it can cause body parts to be greatly disfigured, and some have even talked about how they would rot off. Just imagine that, if you will. Imagine the smell. They were called and considered unclean. Unclean ritually, not unclean physically, although that was part of it. Because someone could not touch a dead body or anything related with death, and offer sacrifice. They were considered unclean. So somebody who touched a leper would be unclean until they had offered proper sacrifice, until they had cleansed themselves. So we have in our first reading, in our gospel reading, different lepers. We have Naaman I like to talk about first. Naaman was commander of the Syrian troops, a pagan. He was plagued with this great plague. And his servant, a young Jewish girl, said, if only you would go to the prophet in Israel. If only, only you would go there, you would find healing. And so he asked for letters from his king to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, when he receives the letters, who am I that I should save you? And he's distressed and, and uh, thinks he's under, it's a threat, and under war almost. And Elisha calls and says, send him to me, to me. And then when Naaman comes, Elisha tells him, oh, just jump in the river seven times. And Naaman is upset. He's disappointed. And as he starts to leave and he starts to go back to Damascus. And his, his fellow soldiers, his servants, tell him, well, what are you doing? Well, I thought he'd come out and he'd wave his hand over the area and he would, he would heal me. But instead, he tells me to jump in the river. Aren't the rivers at Damascus more beautiful? Instead, he tells me to jump, jump in the Jordan. And now, that might not make sense for most of us, at least I, I'm sure I'm the only one that had that idea, that the Jordan River is this big, huge, beautiful river. After all, we have all sorts of hymns and the special gospel hymns of the Jordan River being deep and wide. But in most parts, the Jordan River is not too much bigger than some of our dredge ditches. It's not a very lovely river. Now, at the head it is. It's gorgeous. But elsewhere in the river, where Naaman would have had the closest access to, not very pretty. And they, they, the servants say, well, you know, if he would have told you to do something elaborate, to, to stand on one foot and jump and turn around and, and all, the, all this stuff, you would have done it, right? Well, so, so he told you to jump in the river. What's lost by doing so? And he comes back out of the river after plunging himself seven times, healed. And he comes back to Elisha and tries to offer him a great wealth, 
In modern times, it would equal millions of dollars. It wasn't just a simple, here, here's a dollar or two. It was millions of dollars that he was turning away because he knew, Elisha knew that it wasn't his healing. It wasn't his work. It was God's work that had done it. And that he wasn't in it, this is terrible, but he was a prophet not in it for profit. And Naaman has this wrong idea then. Well, that's true. Then this is the God alone. And he has this, this odd understanding. He, he thinks that God, like the pagan gods who are attached to a particular land, I need to worship this God, but it has to be on this land. So he takes, that's why he takes two mule loads full of dirt so that he can worship God, not realizing that the God of Israel is God of the entire world. Perhaps a mistaken, but still good-intentioned mistake. And then we turn to this gospel passage. Here, these ten lepers, by Jewish law, are to call out, unclean, unclean. We don't know the nationalities or the races of the other nine, but we do know this Samaritan. He was doubly outcast. Not only had he, did he have leprosy, but he was a Samaritan. And in the Jewish world, he was considered a half-breed, somebody who was not allowed to be in polite society. If you remember the story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well, she's doubly outcast as well for, for a couple reasons. But she reminds the Lord, we have nothing in common. You won't even drink from the same cup. Jews would not do anything with the Samaritans. But instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, they cry out something more, something different. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus tells them to do something equally insane, perhaps. Of course, he knows what he's doing. To put in a modern day equivalent, he tells them, go and show yourselves to the priest. That would be the same as for somebody to tell somebody with active COVID, ah, don't mind, just go to church. Don't mind, keep coughing, keep, don't wear a mask, just go to church. Go to the most densely populated area you can and breathe on everyone. That's kind of the gist of it. And they go. They didn't go to be healed. See, you didn't go to the temple to be healed. You went to the temple to offer sacrifice and thanksgiving for your healing and to prove to the priests that you were healed and able to be restored to all those activities, worship being primary in the temple, restored to society. They should have known right there, right then, that something was going to happen. Instead, they go off. And this Samaritan returns. Now, some I've heard some preachers on this passage say, well, it just goes to show only about 10% will return in Thanksgiving. That isn't it at all. I think the other nine were, were in their heads, continuing on to give Thanksgiving, but not to the source of their healing. Well, the source in a long way, because they were going to give thanks to God in the temple. But the Samaritan, realizing that he had come back to the Lord Jesus, that Jesus was the one who healed him, and he needed to thank him immediately. 
he needed to thank him because he recognized in the Lord his healing. And what he did after that, only, only he and God know. But he was thankful all the same. I found myself reflecting on that and, and uh, one of my favorite, hopefully soon, uh, to be saints is Blessed Solanus Casey. I, I have a particular, I think we all should, because two of his brothers are buried in, within our diocese, I believe in Ortonville or Rosen. I don't, don't remember which cemetery it is. One of his brothers was a priest who served in our diocese. His other brother, who happens to be buried in, in our diocese, was a Jesuit priest, I believe. Blessed Solanus preached the funeral homily in the church and then died about a year or two later. But Solanus's most famous saying, most famous teaching is, thank God in advance. Thank God in advance. And I, I think if these ten lepers had done that, there's no thankfulness shown in this passage. And maybe this one Samaritan begins to realize, I need to thank God immediately, even though it's, the healing has already occurred. I find myself thinking about this, that we are called to thank God in advance and, and at least thank God when we recognize his healing, when we recognize that he's worked in our lives. And so often we fail. And we might ask ourselves, how are we giving thanks? And there's one particular area, I think, or one particular way we can give thanks to God. And it's much like the Samaritan did, to recognize how God is at work, how God is alive and active in our midst. This week is Respect Life Week, and we might ask in that aspect, do we respect life? Let's take a look at this leper himself in two, two or three various aspects. Do we respect life for the most vulnerable, those that are sick or those are, that are medically vulnerable? And so often we might reduce Respect Life Week to uh, before birth, but yes, we're anti-abortion. Yes, we're for, for children and the most vulnerable in the womb. But let's be honest, our crisis pregnancy centers that so many of us support don't only care about the child before birth. They more importantly care about the mother and take care of mother and child well into the child's toddler years. That's respect life. Do we support the work of those that support women in crisis pregnancies? Or in the most vulnerable, the elderly? I watched a video with horror last week of an a, a elderly man who was basically being beaten up, having worked at the nursing home. I know it's not always easy work, and sometimes there's the, the, some of the residents would get cantankerous and fightful and, and those things. But to be beaten, do we find it easy as a society, we, find, we so often find it too easy to reach for something that will put the person's life at an end. In some places, in some countries, they're now facing criminal lawsuits for the wrongful death. There's last week somebody who was 
just slightly depressed and was given a drug to end her life. Do we respect life from the most vulnerable? Or another aspect with this Samaritan, there's a racist kind of thing here. The Jews so often hated the Samaritans. They saw them as a half-breed, different race. Do we respect those of different races? We as a church, I believe, do. But as a society, we perhaps have forgotten. Respect life means respecting everyone. And ultimately, we remember that race is only skin deep when it comes down to it. When it comes down to it, we are the same. We're, we're in the, uh, biologically, the, the differences between race are insignificant. Or, as a Samaritan, he would have had a, had a different culture, a different language. How do we treat those that look different, act different, think different? Now, that's not necessarily here, but I'm thinking especially as we approach the midterm elections, how do we respect those that have different political opinions than us? We live in a, a country that seems to be divided very divided, pro-abortion and pro-life and pro-immigration and anti-immigration and pro-wall and anti-wall and all these things. We can have political differences in some areas, but as a church we stand for the truth and we respect all, even if sometimes their ideas are hard to understand, even if some of the political leanings are difficult to justify, perhaps. We're called to respect. And I think this respect is a sign of thankfulness to the Lord because it recognizes in the end we are not God, that God is God. And we come back to him and thank him for the gift of life that he has given us, that he's given all of us, and know that as we respect all life, all forms, all politicals, and all, all these things that would falsely separate us, that we show gratitude in all things. Perhaps like this formerly leprous Samaritan, we need to have greater sight to recognize the Lord at work and to thank God in advance for all that he has done.